I originally became a hospital chaplain as part of my training for ordination. I had no idea how much I'd come to value being able to serve patients, family members, and staff. It's a true gift from God to be allowed into someone's life when they're at a crisis point, to hear their story, and to have an opportunity to comfort them, even if only in a very small way. I'm a retired professor in the engineering school at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and I used to solve concrete, many faceted problems. I had to come up with real solutions, things that mean spending time, sometimes years, and there was significant long-term pressure that came with doing that kind of work. But now I'm blessed with the opportunity to focus on one person at a time and to be present for that person. There's no solution to find. I'm simply there to serve God's people. Sometimes I feel selfish being a chaplain. I usually get as much or more out of a visit with someone than that person does. It's a spiritual event for me. That's what we're being told in chapter 4 of First Peter. Love cleanses all. It regenerates our souls. It brings us back into the arms of God. Here's a few verses from that chapter. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Before we dive deeper into this letter from the New Testament, I'd like to talk about a patient I visited a while back. As always, I'm changing details to protect her privacy. There are a couple of things that I look for in a patient's chart before I go visit them. I'm not a medical person, but I do try to figure out in a rough sense just how sick they are. I don't talk about medical issues with patients unless they do so first. But talking to someone who's facing a life-threatening illness is very different than talking to someone who's recovering after having a rod placed in a broken leg. I also like to look to see if there's a declared religion as well. In Boulder, the most common religion is none. And I look to see where they live only to see if their address is XXXX, meaning that they're homeless. I'm always relaxed when I go into the room of a homeless person they seem to always appreciate my visit. In this case, the patient was a woman in oncology 
she was three years into treatment for a cancer that was not responding to treatment. And her religion was none. Her address had a lot of X's in it. I cleaned my hands with the sanitizer that's available outside every patient room. I knocked on her door, opened it slowly, and called out her name, which, by the way, I had no idea how to pronounce. She was sitting up in bed. She had long black hair. Next to her bed on a small table was a large backpack standing upright. And next to her in her bed were six or seven small, grubby, stuffed animals. She smiled broadly as I walked up to her bed and said I was the chaplain. I told her my name's Buzz and that I was there to see how she was doing. She said, hello, bud. She said it with a D, bud, and not with a double Z, as in my name, Buzz. Then she very carefully and very politely told me how to pronounce her name. I'll do my best. It's spelled B-E-B-H-I-N-N with an accent on the E, and it's pronounced something like Bivian. This is not her true name, but her name was similarly difficult to pronounce for an American. I did my best to repeat it back to her, and I failed miserably. She smiled even more broadly and said, Bud, what can I do for you? I noticed immediately that Bivian seemed to be missing most or all of the teeth on one side of her mouth. I sat down and talked to her. Often it's clumsy, sometimes impossible, to get a patient to talk about their life. My goal is usually to listen to the person, and when they get to a painful point in their life story or in the telling of their medical journey, I make a point of simply listening. I did not have to prod by Avian. She spoke freely and in a very literate, educated fashion. I heard that she had been born on a small farm in Ireland, that she and her sister had moved to America together as very young women, and that they had both gotten married in California. I learned that her husband had turned out to be a brutal man. He broke my jaw and knocked out half of my teeth, she said, so I had to run away. Baavian told me that she had been advised to leave California and go to some place familiar to her, a place where she could see herself living, but where her husband had no connections. She had spent two days in the Boulder area on the way out from Ireland, and so she came to Colorado. She could not find a job, though, and she ended up homeless. But Baavian eventually found a job in Wyoming, taking care of adults with cognitive disabilities. She loved the job because she said it was a gift to serve others. After being abused, it felt so good to open her heart to others and discover that she still had a huge heart. However, she was forced to quit that job when her sister called. Her sister's husband had been killed suddenly in a motorcycle accident. 
Baivian's sister had a baby at the time and was beside herself with grief. Now, Baivian was a woman who had suffered a terrible injury at the hands of a man who should have held her well-being and happiness as his primary goal in life. She had finally established a life of her own. Now she was giving it all up to go back to California. But Baivian was only in her sister's home for a week before her sister suddenly decided that she would be okay, that she didn't need Baivian's help anymore. In fact, the sister explained, Baivian was no longer welcome in her home. When Baivian explained that she had no home or job to go back to, her sister didn't care. It turned out that her sister decided that Baivian, who was unemployed, homeless, and had a damaged face, was embarrassing to have around. Baivian went back to Boulder and never again found a home. She lived on the street for a while. Baivian eventually found a semi-permanent place to live in a shelter. Her life for a handful of years now had consisted of living in the shelter with periodic stays in the hospital to be treated for a colon cancer that was refusing to be cured. But she had a home, she said with a smile, in that shelter. She constantly had to renegotiate with the folks who run the shelter to allow her to continue to stay. But it was a home. The one thing she said to me at least three times was that most of the men on the street were actually good men and they protected the women. She said that it was too bad that, unlike the women on the street, it was hard for the men to find a long-term place to stay. I'm going to get back to Baavian in a moment. There are two letters in the New Testament that are attributed to the Apostle Peter. Many people believe that the letter we're looking at right now, 1 Peter, was written to provide spiritual and practical support for people who were undergoing violent persecution. The author is writing to people in Asia Minor, which is today more or less modern Turkey. These churches are made up of Gentiles, not Jews, who have joined the Jesus movement. Those folks live in the area around Jerusalem. Both letters state clearly that they were written by Peter, an apostle of Jesus. Peter is a poor fisherman, and yet the letters are written in very literate, cultivated Greek. In fact, our letter is written in a more sophisticated Greek than the Gospels or the book of Revelation. It's also true that significant persecution against Christians did not begin in this region until long after Peter would have been dead. The two Peter letters also don't highlight the fact that Peter knows Jesus personally. To complicate things further, the Greek in the two letters is different, and so the two letters appear to have different authors. And the second letter seems to imply that the age of the apostles has passed. And so it 
would have been written after Peter was dead. In some, most biblical scholars do not believe that Peter personally wrote either of these letters. So we're left with a letter that we must accept at face value. We do need to remember a long-standing tenet of biblical scholarship. The Bible, in particular the New Testament, was written during a time when documents were often attributed to people, sometimes to honor them and sometimes to add more weight to the documents. What's true is that the two letters do seem to contain beliefs that would have been held by the true Peter. First Peter offers beautifully insightful advice on how a Christian can live a vibrant life dedicated to God even when facing extreme challenges. One of the key lessons of this letter is that we should always trust God even when things aren't going well. This is especially true when we're facing bias, simply because we're followers of Christ. This is something that all of us can learn from today. Christianity is out of vogue in America. Our passage today tells us to be proactive in our trust. We don't just sit around and think about how to show our love for God. We get up off the sofa and we do something. We serve others as a way of glorifying God and Jesus. This passage makes these important points. We must love one another and be very generous in doing so. We must serve one another with whatever gifts we've been given. And we must be glorified through Jesus Christ in the things we do to serve others. We are to give all our energy when we serve, and we have a lot of energy to give because the grace and the power of our God is behind us. Still, we're left to wonder who wrote the letter. In it, the author mentions that he's in Babylon, which is probably a reference to the pagan, corrupt city of Rome. It's thought that perhaps the letter was written by a follower of Peter, and that, in fact, the concern isn't for literal, physical persecution against the churches in Asia Minor. Maybe the author is referring to life as a Christian in the Roman Empire or in any place where the secular society around us persecutes us socially and teaches us not to serve others, but rather to serve only ourselves. Here's how my visit with Baavian ended. As our conversation wound down, and we talked for about an hour and a half, she asked if we could pray before I left. I said, of course, yes. She reached out with her hands and I took them. She closed her eyes. I closed mine. I was silent for a moment, preparing myself to start praying. When she started praying, God, please guide and protect Bud as he continues with his ministry in this hospital. She continued on in this vein for a few minutes. Yes, I thought she wanted me to pray for her, which is what most patients ask for. But she prayed for me instead. 
That's what Baevian was all about. Using whatever she had to serve others in the name of God. Despite all she had been through in her very tough life, she had so much to offer. One last thing. There's a very intriguing verse that comes just before the passage that I read from 1 Peter. Before saying that we should love each other, the author says this. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The author is saying that the end of time is approaching. After this line, the author delivers the passage that we read. Does this mean that we should serve each other with all we have simply because we're worried about facing God soon? That's not why Baivian prayed for me. Indeed, for her, all earthly things would soon end. She told me she was hoping to live to see the summer. That was two years ago. I thanked her for praying for me. I told her that it was the most beautiful thing that any patient or family member had ever done for me. She told me I was welcome and that she prays for others because it's the best way to live a radiant life. She prayed for me for my sake, not to earn some reward from God. <laughs>